welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. Amen. Amen and amen. So good. Paul does not take up too much space. He does an amazing job on announcements. We need more of that. I am definitely not going to throw the t-shirt guy at you uh, at all. I'm not the hype guy, so somebody's got to get everybody a little engaged, you know. Um, Hey, Merry Christmas. I have uh, a couple words that I wanted to give before we start uh, that I felt during worship. Caroline, I have a word for you. Yeah, I know you so well, but <clears throat> I felt like uh, what I what I saw was God changing. This is for 2021, changing from checkers to chess, and I felt like the things that have felt chaotic are like these little small pieces that God in 2021 is going to start like. As, this is what I took from it: establishing you in these long-term trends, not short little things to just get your needs met or small things in life happening, but like a positional change to where it's very strategic moving forward. Things will be less jarring, more smooth, more thought out between you and God. Does that make sense? Like instead of it being fast and like a checker type game, he's going to position you for these long-term moves to catch like a rhythm of life in 2021, if you're okay with that. Can we stretch your hands out towards Caroline? Jesus, thank you for Caroline, and we just thank you for what you're doing in 2021, and we just ask that, uh, yeah, we just say yes. We say yes to the call on Caroline's life for her children and what she's doing, and we just agree that you're going to position her for where she needs to be positioned in 2021, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Scott Lovett, dude, I'm coming I'm coming with a word, bro. Uh, you're not receiving it? No. There's, um, here's the scripture, man, I felt, um, obviously we've gotten to know each other a lot in the past month, God's doing some really cool stuff, what I felt like for you for 2021 is uh, Matthew 13, 52, so uh, Jesus said to them, therefore every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a, of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old Here's another translation. Therefore, every scribe who's been trained in the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is a very perplexing verse. It's kind of a strange verse if you ever study it. But what I felt like for you is like there's an establishment that you have things that are like old in your house because you're a man of God. And then 2021, there's going to be like these new building blocks for you. So you, you will have this well-rounded, you, what you will provide for this body is this well-rounded old things of the kingdom as well as new things that God is going to start showing you or giving you avenues to connect or just to serve this family really well. <clears throat> and so it's like, you know, you always hear it, but it's like, God's doing a new thing. God's doing a new thing. It's like, well, it's true. He's also not changed at all from Acts 2. So it's kind of true. But then it's also like, if you don't think God's doing a new thing, that's not true either. It's both and. So a father of a house bringing out what's old and new out of a storage room for his children and his family and his community to partake of. And I feel like I don't even know fully what that means, but God's just positioning you well in this body to bring old and new things in the kingdom. You okay? Do you receive that? Okay, cool. If you didn't want it, I'll pick somebody else because uh, 
but I did feel like it was specifically for you. Let's pray for Scott. Jesus, we thank you for this man and his family, and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that he's in this body. And we just say yes. We say yes to the old things in the kingdom, yes to the new things of the kingdom, and we're super excited about what you're doing. Peace and um, fruitfulness in 2021, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, hey, guys, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. This is our official Christmas service. This is, you know, the way you do that as a pastor is the closest service to Sunday is your Christmas service. And so that's what this is. Last year, I think, was on Christmas or the day before, and that's always like an odd thing. So I like the way this one fell. So Merry Christmas. Really glad that you want to spend your time here. If I don't know you, my name is Landon Snow. That was my wife up here earlier, Stacy Snow. We're really grateful to be doing what we're doing in Baton Rouge, serving a local community, trying the best we can to follow what God's saying and follow scripture. So grateful that you would be here. I love the holiday season. I'm, I just, I don't know. I'm okay with it. I just embrace the holiday season. So I searched, I'm a meme guy. How many of you like memes? I'm like, like Paul's saying, you should only follow one thing on social media. I don't. I follow a lot of different people for good reasons but I just love funny memes. And so I searched far and wide for the funniest meme that I could find for Christmas. And this is it. (coughs) (laughs) Jeff Bezos owns Amazon, if you didn't catch the joke. (coughs) That is a lot funnier than you are (laughs) laughing at. Do you not get this joke? I mean, he's literally choosing, he is... (laughs) He is intentionally choosing to not be Santa Claus. He has all of our addresses. He has drones that could fly the stuff to us. <laughs> okay, great. I'm going to move on. Y'all didn't like my joke. I'm like a Seinfeld, Larry David kind of comedy guy, pretty dry. That's what that is to me. So uh, anyway, I thought it was really funny. Now, uh, in this holiday season, it is awesome. We get to celebrate Jesus. You know, these songs that the worship team, can we thank it f- the worship team really quick too? Uh, these songs for the worship team coming from the worship team this this word Emmanuel is in scripture it's God is with us this is all about the father sending his son Jesus to take on flesh he laid down divinity to become one of us being birthed in a manger and then he died for our sins resurrected back to the father it's just an incredible story of God being with us you know, if you are a New Testament believer, it's, it sounds really awesome, and we would logically think that Jesus being in the midst and f- in flesh around us is better. <clears throat> he actually said it's better that he goes and he sends the Holy Spirit. So he came and he took on flesh, but we are actually more equipped now than we would have been back then to carry out a kingdom lifestyle because the Holy Spirit is residing with us. But this started with this process of Jesus being with us, God being with us. And so Christmas is all about Jesus. It's an amazing story. I think you all know that story. So uh, what I felt like I wanted to share today was actually about the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, A little bit about her life, but even more so specifically how she gave God her yes, but more so how she held her heart during holding the promises of God. So I'm going to talk to you about the promises of God today. Mary gave God her yes, and she carried, she was pregnant with promise, literally. And the way she held her heart and how she carried herself throughout her life is what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to start in Luke 1, verse 26 through 38. 
Okay, so in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that's John the Baptist's mom, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's... <clears throat> Next. The virgin's angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? She's, theologians would say she's about 12, 13, 14 years old at this time. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is an incredible story. So you can see here, point number one, the way that Mary just said yes. She asked this question. She's like, how's that going to be? The angel says, the Holy One will overshadow you. That still makes no sense. She's still confused. And she's like, all right, let it be. That sounds great. <laughs> That's make uh, awesome. All of that stuff sounds great. Her blindly just giving her yes to God that this is the heart of a revivalist. I don't understand everything. I don't have to understand everything. We talked about this last week, but I will give God my yes. And so Mary, her first response to the promise is yes. Isn't that awesome? This is amazing. Yes, I'm going to give God my yes. And so she takes this promise from God. What an incredible moment. She's highly favored, and an angel encounters her and gives her this promise. Okay, so I want to open up that just a little bit. Theologians would tell us that for the rest of her life, Mary was called the mother of an illegitimate child. <clears throat> Mary's husband wanted to leave her. Imagine the conflict that she dealt with in her life because of this promise. See, the promise attracted conflict. We're going to have scripture for that in a second. So Mary's excited. She says yes. We love that part, right? I got a prophetic word, chest to checkers, I'm excited, it, you know what I mean? Like, man, this is great, she's going to regret me giving her this. <laughs> and then conflict become, comes because of the word, I'm kidding, Caroline. Um, and so what, what she's, she's super excited, but the cost of this promise and how she had to carry this out, we're going to we'll look into it more here, but the promise came. And she had to walk this out diligently through her community and through her family. So you can just see the cost here. I mean, literally, she physically started changing. I mean, this is a promise, a significant issue in our history that came from a promise of God that Mary held her heart in. Amen? We're going to fast forward 30 years. Can everyone say 30 years? 30 years later... Jesus is born. He has yet to release any of his miracles. No one knows that he's the son of God yet. And they're at a party. I'm going to read it to you. Okay, so this is John 2, verse 1 through 12. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Canaan, Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, that's Mary, and Jesus and his disciples also had been invited to the wedding. When the time was gone, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, now guys, don't say that. I don't know what the actual translation is, but I'm going to assume it's not woman. And maybe they had like an internal dialogue of like, that was their nickname or something. Uh, Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Uh, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Miracles release glory and increase belief. After this, he went down to Capernaum, with his mother and brothers and his disciples, they stayed there for a few days. All right. So Jesus said, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. He did nothing outside of the Father telling him what to do. Uh, we're starting a series next week on the five core values of Cedar House. I would consider them the kind of the five core values, pillars of the kingdom. And we're going to cover all this where Jesus did nothing outside of what the Father told him to do. He literally said, I can do nothing unless the Father tells me to do it. So Jesus... Mary comes to him and says, all right, hey, they don't have any wine. And he says, woman, again, don't do that. But obviously, the father had not told him it's time because he said, no, it's not time. Mary just turns to the people and says, do what he tells you to do. All right. Now, Jesus only does what the father tells him to do. So Mary had carried a promise for three decades. I don't know how you read this. This is how I read into it. She held a place in the father's heart, the way she had held her heart for 30 years. And Mary said it was time. Now come over to Jesus. Obviously something adjusted and the father told him it was time. I don't know if that's the power of a woman, the power of a mother. You can think anything you want. In my opinion, she was pregnant with a promise. She had gone through so much humiliation and confusion. And after 30 years, she moved the heart of the father and it became time. And she birthed the greatest revival in history. And Jesus reacted to it. He said, okay, okay, it's time. Can we be people that hold on to promises, don't get our heart bitter, don't get off track, don't get, you know, sidetracked in a discouraging season, and keep the promise of God for 30 years? Can we do that? 2020 has been an interesting year for Stacy and I. Uh, basically, if you are a public figure in any form at all, at any size, 2020 was an interesting year, especially um, navigating through everything that gone on politically, socially, all of that stuff. And it was just a gut check year for us. Like, do we want to do this? Like, this is not what we signed up for when we wanted to have people encounter Jesus. And what, I, what we kept going back to is these prophetic words that we had had over the years. My first prophetic word started when I was eight years old. It's in my other Bible. A guy named Bob Jones prophesied over me. He said, you're going to be a shepherd, and you're going to pastor the sheep. 
And he said, I see you uh, overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression, and you're going to set people free from it. He said, I see you looking at scripture and teaching from scripture to the people. It's literally happening, like, right now. That is literally happening right now. So my whole life, through all everything that we've gone through, and especially in 2020, it's like, what are we holding on to? What are the anchors? What did God promise us? And are we going to hold on to these promises? It would have been really easy to just call it in during this year. It would have been so easy. And if I didn't have these anchors for Stacy and I to go back to and say, this is what God said. This is what God said. We had a prophetic word about 15 years ago from a guy named Dennis Kramer, cool prophetic guy. He called Stacy out of a crowd and he said, he said, we were real young. He goes, you don't even have a theology yet. And he said, but you're going to be a woman of power, a woman of power, a woman of power, a woman of power. And he said, there's coming a day, talking to me, he didn't know my name, he said, they won't be able to shut you up. You're just going to want to keep talking about Jesus. So again, we just go back to these watering holes, these promises of God. What has God said? Because listen, if, if we don't hold on to those anchors, you'll just come with whatever the new form of information you have, the emotion of the day, whatever's happening we have to hold on to those anchors. Amen? Paul wrote to Timothy and said this. So Paul and Timothy's relationship was a father-son relationship. This is a, guys, if you want to be fathered, go read those books. It's really, really good. And he says this to Timothy. Let's just, Timothy. Yeah, go, you can put it up, Christy. We have 1 Timothy 4.14. So he says this. This is Paul to Timothy. Timothy's about 25 years old right here. He says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Think about that. What is he saying here? Timothy, life, the gravity of life is about to get you. And don't forget the words that they spoke over you. Timothy, this is going to get difficult. People are going to misunderstand you. You're young. You're called to ministry. I'm trying to help you. Don't lose sight of the prophetic words over your life. When we prayed for you and gave you those prophetic words, keep going back to that word. Don't let the season change. Don't let, they didn't have social media, but don't let whatever's going on in society change you. Stay true to these promises of God. So what a promise is, is God going into your future, seeing what's best for you, grabbing a truth and coming back and giving it to you in the now. God is going to take a promise or a prophetic word. He goes into your future. He sees the best position for you to be in. He puts it into your life right now. And then you get the process and you get to walk through this issue of walking through the promise with God. I used to hear pastors say this and it drove me crazy, but it's the best way to say it. It's literally you're getting trained to reign He's training you in this process. This is where we're going. Here's my North Star. I'm in the middle of what I don't understand, and I'm just going to keep walking through it. You guys with me? But here's, here's the, this is better than what we think, but here's the catch. We think that we get a promise and everything's just going to work out fine. How many of you have been a Christian long enough to know that's not the case? So we think, oh my God. I got a prophetic word at that conference, bruh, everything's going to change. I am so excited. Everything is going to change. I'm going to write a thousand books and the world's going to love everything I have to say. 
whatever you take from your prophetic word. But the problem is, and again, this is a good thing, the word attracts conflict. When you get a prophetic word, it attracts conflict. I'm going to show this to you. <clears throat> this is uh, Matthew 13, verses 1. We cut out a couple verses in the middle for the sake of time. You can go ahead, Christy. Okay. This is a parable that Jesus gives. Listen to what he says. He says, That same day Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. When he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, <clears throat> and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell along thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear... Let him hear. Okay, the disciples, Jesus then gives them the meaning of this. <clears throat> Anytime Jesus actually explains what the parable means, really pay attention because he doesn't do that a lot. This, he's like, look, they're not very smart. i got to make sure they get this one. This is valuable information. So he says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes in and snatches away what is sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Why did trouble and persecution come? Because of the word. When you get a promise or you get a word from God, trouble and persecution is coming. Okay, I love this subject so much. This is just, I just feast on this subject. <clears throat> okay. The devil is trying to kill you at all times. There was so much confusion in the day of Jesus about the nature of God and the nature of the devil because they had never seen God manifest like Jesus was. That Jesus had to make it so clear to them. He's like, guys, look. If anything falls under stealing, killing, or destroying, that's the devil. I'm going to make this real easy. If it's still killed, destroys the devil. If it's life and life abundantly, that's me. So what the devil is literally trying to do at all times, the best thing he can do is kill you. Now, he has no authority unless you agree with it. He's very small. This isn't an even match between him and God. I'm not at all saying that. What I am saying is when you see death, destruction, disease, all these things, that doesn't fall under the job description of life abundantly. When I hear someone who dies of cancer, that's not life abundantly. Someone dies in a car accident tragically. That's not life abundantly. Can I get an amen? Okay. So when you get a promise, if it is death, destruction, kill, stealing, and destroying, that's not God. Okay? That's what the enemy's trying to do. But, hear me out, God will allow in his wisdom what he could easily stop in his power. So what God is doing is you're getting trained as you get a promise to walk through this, and it's called stewardship. So when you get a promise, in order to build your muscle to be able to sustain the promise, you're going to go through conflict. This is really good. Can I get an amen? Mary 
literally her body changed. She gave birth to it. This is the greatest promise in scripture. Oh, this is amazing. Her life, you, we have no idea what our teens years were like. Think about it. It could have been absolutely devastating to her. But what was built in her heart? As she's walking through the promise, God is building and instilling things into her heart. This is so important. So you get a promise for God. I'm not talking about death, all the, the devil stuff. I'm talking about just conflict that comes because of the word. Life happens and you, you, um, when a tire um, gets cut, when, there's a, when, the tire, when a tire gets fixed, they put pressure on it to make sure that it sustains. When you get a promise, it's like, I need the pressure to know if I can keep building. I need, it's, um, how many of you got a promise 10 years ago? Like, man, I wasn't ready to sustain that anyway. That's what it is. You, God is building and instilling things in us when he gives us promises. Amen? <clears throat> okay. I meant to say this last week, and I didn't, so I want to say it here. But here, here's what happens. You get a promise right here. And here's the destination. And the, the beauty of the Christian life is walking from here to here. I would like to introduce to you, I do believe that there is a suffering going on in America today over the gospel. It, if you, again, I follow people on Instagram that are doing real mission work. There are people still dying for proclaiming the name of Jesus. There are places where you cannot get a Bible in. We actually give money to them every month. There is a literal physical affliction for advancing the gospel in other countries. Now, we live in a country, thank God, that we can openly talk about Jesus. But what one of the lines, in my opinion, that where it's suffering for the gospel is this. I'm, I have a promise. It's not there yet. And suffering for the Lord is walking through this process with trust and praise the whole time. I don't understand. Nothing looks like it's going to work. I'm confused. And I'm going to long suffer through it till I get to that promised place. Are you with me? This right here, is this is falling up under affliction. And this is taking up your cross and daily walking. And I, I know what God's going to do, and I'm going to steward on my side until we get there. This is such a big deal to me. I carry this in my soul so deeply. See, stewardship is such a big deal to God. There's three different uh, parables in the New Testament in the life of Jesus where he talks about stewardship. And it's basically this. If I give you something and you do well with it, you'll get more of it. If I give you something and you don't do well with it, I'm going to take it from you. Now, it's actually God's mercy to take it from you. You ever seen someone get promoted too fast in the business? It actually crushes them. That's what he's doing. It's not out of punishment. It's, it's a father's heart. I, you're not ready yet, but there's mercies new every day. So tomorrow you'll get another chance. But what he does is if you do well, he takes it and he gets you more. This is a kingdom principle. The idea of sitting on the sideline and expecting God to take care of everything is not biblical. You with me? If you don't steward, you don't get more. I don't fully know the formula, but I do know the formula that you reap what you sow. And when you steward, you get an increase. And so as you daily walk through your Christian life, God will bring you increase. If you don't steward what God's given you, you get less. 
anybody know those people who don't steward well and they just sit in their perpetual complaining and issues? They're not stewarding. They're just not stewarding. I, I don't know what to tell you. If you continue to steward, you will get an advancement in life where God will position you to thrive as a believer. How many of you are scared of promises? <laughs> like, all right, don't give me a word. I don't, I don't want to attract the conflict, right? I'm good. No more prophetic words. Um, no, but this is the life of a believer. This is the life of a believer of getting a promise from God and holding on to it. I, I can't, guys, I'm I mentioned this last week. It's just still on me so heavy. This is a war cry. We want that barbaric Braveheart thing. I do too. It's mod like I want to be the greatest UFC fighter in the world. I've never been in a fight in my life. Everyone in here would beat me up. But I just like really want to be an MMA guy. There is this war cry. In the kingdom, this is what this is. I am going to carry it. My marriage doesn't look good. My finances don't look good. Bob's not getting healed. Whatever it may be. And I'm going to fiercely carry this truth. I'm not going to lower the standard. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to change the subject. I'm just going to fiercely get before God with this promise until it becomes true. This, this, this is a tension and a battle cry. It really is. It, the diligence to wake up every day and go, I'm going to keep walking faithful. That is a war cry. Paul said this, when all else fail, fails, stand. Don't go backwards. If you need a break, just stand. And then the next day you can move forward. Don't go back. No retreating, no surrender. We're advancing the kingdom. Okay, five ways to uh, stay, to live a life living in the promises of God. The first one is this, get in scripture. I cannot tell you how important this book is. Now, I'm not saying it's Father, Son, and Holy Bible. I understand that. But what we are called to do is read this thing until God speaks. We read it when the Holy Spirit highlights something. That's your promise. That's your watering hole. That's where you sit. Read 20 chapters if you have to, but when God says something to you, sit in Scripture. It is the plan of the enemy to water down this book. It's happening through all out society. This is, can you imagine where we'd be without this? I mean, we need to be so grateful that we can, I can have a hundred of these. There's, there's still places on earth that don't have this. The power of scripture, reading it until God speaks to you. Jen Johnson posted something this week. She said, if you're searching for something, stay in scripture or you'll get weird. I would agree. <laughs> I would completely agree. As a believer, if you're searching for truth outside of the word, it's just not Christian behavior. You can do it. It's just not what we're called to do. I'm not saying God can't speak to you through something it's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it goes through the lens of Scripture into truth. John Paul Jackson is this old prophetic guy. He's passed away now. Really influential in my life when I was young. Um, this is the kind of guy who's like all the supernatural stuff you could think of, all the stuff we see in Scripture that we believe in. He's like functioning in all of it. And he used to do these open Q&As. And he's the kind of guy that like if you ask him a question, um, some, someone said, what's the number one way you engage with God? This guy like goes to heaven frequently. I mean, talks to angels. He's this kind of guy. He's like, oh, through scripture. And the whole room's just like, 
because we're all thinking we want to get past scripture into like the encounter or something. And he's like, yeah, no, no, I just read this. I just read scripture and God speaks to me. And I was just, I was young. I was in my teenage years. And I was like, man, okay, I guess that's true. So we never grow out, outgrow our need for it. Revelation does not lead you outside the book. It leads you into the book. It keeps getting wider and it keeps getting deeper. Can we be Bible-believing believers? In 2020 especially, standing on the scripture, this is all we got. Literally, this is what we got. We have to have our backbone feasting in scripture all the time. And if you want a promise from God, here's the number one way to do it. Amen? Okay. Second way, uh, being a prophetic culture. This is something here that if you've been through the school of ministry or just been here a while, this is such an important thing to me. Creating an environment where we get to practice prophecy. Creating an environment where we get to speak edification over one another. The concern as a Christian leader to have a church that does prophecy, because I walk it out daily, is someone's going to get a bad word. Someone's going to take the word and run off with it and they shouldn't have and they don't have accountability or someone's just going to get excited and we're going to get off into prophecy. I, I understand all the warning signs, but I would, I, at least we have to at least practice it to build our muscle. If we can create an, a safe environment to prophesy and edify one another, it will build one another up. You guys with me? If some, I say this all the time, and I'm probably going to say it for another 30 years. If someone gives a bad prophetic word, they're not a false prophet. They're trying. Are you with me? <clears throat> it's like what I, what I could do as a leader is say, we're not going to give prophetic words. And I'm just cutting out some of Scripture to do that. See, Paul said, it's great that you can speak in tongues. I'd rather you all prophesy because prophecy is for edification. What a prophetic culture does is just constant edification, constant encouragement. It's, it's what it is. It's constantly giving promises. I've been in environments where it's, I'm just telling you, we, we, we haven't even begun to get to the level of edification where we could be. So getting in a prophetic culture, I need people in my life to give me prophetic words. I need people in my life to say this is what God's doing. Whether it's an edification or if it's literally, hey, in June 2026, this is going to happen, that's great too. No dates or mates keep you in, keep you out of trouble. Well, we don't really have like college age group here, so we should be okay with the date part. But anyway, are you guys with me? We're trying our best here. If you don't go to church here, get somewhere where there's a prophetic, a safe, wise prophetic culture. Amen. All right. Uh, the third one is to remember. So this word remembrance. Okay. What is God saying? If He's not speaking, go to the last thing He said. He said something. If it was two years ago, he's still training you on this. All right. Back to the John Paul Jackson thing. This is what made me think of it. I've shared this before. About 20 years ago, I grew up in Shenandoah, born and raised. About 20 years ago, there was a CC's next to that Albertsons. Any of you remember that? Been here long enough to know? And I used to go to that CC's, Bible studies and stuff like that. And I had this dream, a very, very clear dream. I was with someone at a Bible study in the dream. And I walk up to the counter to get, uh, I don't even know if I like coffee at that time, but in the dream I got a latte or something. Walk up, do that, and I'm taking, I look up and it's John Paul Jackson. It's this prophetic guy. And his name tag, it says remembrance. And I woke up. And I've just always known, don't forget. Like for me that was a Timothy Paul moment. Like 
don't forget what was the last thing God said. Oddly enough, I'm now on Jones Creek. I own a coffee shop, and I'm talking about remembrance. John Paul knew what he was doing. He was so prophetic in my dream. But, it, but it's true, all throughout Scripture, all th- for the Israelites, God would have them build memorials and build things so they wouldn't forget. I'm, I'm, only, I'm, I'm about to turn 38, but if you ever meet those, like, a 20-year-old who doesn't know American history and they're shouting out something, you're like, bro, we've tried that and it doesn't work. <laughs> they don't remember what happened. It's like that. It's like, what, did, what, what has happened? We need to make sure we don't do that again. And what God has said, we have to remember those words and staying consistent with remembering. Um, Maverick City Music is a, a new label that's out of Nashville. They got some really cool worship. They have this song called We Will Remember, and I encourage you. It's so good. It's the seventh song on their newest album. It's so good. You could just sit on it. We will remember. God would literally have the Israelites put stones in certain places so they wouldn't forget. And he's, God's really smart. Like he knew, like they're go- they're idiots. They're gonna forget. <laughs> Just build a giant something. He's probably creative. Like, what's the least thing that? Okay, stone. They could at least pick up some stones and just put them somewhere. But remembering what God has said, because in a point of emotion or in a point of conflict, we we fight or flight. We don't know what we're doing. It's like nope. We're holding true to God's promises. I will remember what God said. Amen. Okay, the fourth one is this. Surround yourself with people who live with promises. I say this all the time. Um, You are who you hang around. Um, Psychologists have figured this out psychologically. Entrepreneurs have figured this out in business. Who you hang around and who you surround yourself by is a manifestation of who you are. You are the sum of the five people around you. I would say that that is true. Uh, Now, scripturally it's true because when you honor a prophet the pro- you get the prophet's reward honor breathes back a reward if i honor you for what you carry it opens myself up to receive from you so it is true but they figured out other language for it they figured out kingdom principles that we have in scripture where you surround yourself with godly people and, and more god will be around you two or more are gathered so when you surround yourself with godly people we need to be people who I know the prophetic words in your life, I know the promises on your life, and I'm going to hold you accountable. We're on a bad day, be there for you, because we still have to keep going forward. Are you with me? This is really important. Being around people who know the promises on your life won't let you fail and say, man, just, look, you're going through a tough season, I'm with you. Can we get back on track? I'm not saying performance-based, I'm not saying... You with me. Accountability in the kingdom isn't punishing someone for sin. Accountability is making sure that we keep going down the path. So I'm with you. You're with me. Surround yourself with godly people and keep moving forward. It takes no talent to be around condescending negative people. Because our flesh, that's what we want. It's really fun to make fun of people. Just being honest with you, refer to my message two weeks ago. I don't do that. I'm saying my flesh likes to. My flesh wants to be around people. It's really the negatives gather agreement. But staying around a positive environment where you're constantly edifying one another and holding each other to our promises is difficult. It's, it's not the easy path. But staying consistent to the promises. 
what I do, what I try to do as much as I can within the people I'm around is position people, if I have any authority in this situation, position people in accordance with what I consider their gifts or what I consider their prophetic words or where I see them going and trying to position them to be able to get there and holding people accountable along the way. Amen? Okay. So the fifth point is this. And I love this. He, whoever has the most hope, has the most influence. I love this quote so much. Whoever has the most hope has the most influence. Have you ever been in some a meeting where someone's just like, no, it's possible, we can do it. You're kind of like, okay, we'll follow this guy. He seems to like know what he's talking about. Hope is infectious. And whoever has the most of it typically has the most influence. Okay, what a prophetic word does or what a promise does is in the middle of conflict, in the middle of turmoil of what I don't understand, I'm standing true on this word. Everyone's panicking. No one knows what to do. And you step up and say, this is what God's doing. I'm hope-filled because this is where we're going and this is what we're doing. Are you with me? By, by, Paul talks about having a clean conscience throughout Scripture. And it's a very... How many of you have gone through seasons where you have a more clean conscience than you do in other seasons? There's just less to it. You know what I'm talking about? That thing. The kingdom life is like maintaining a healthy conscience at all times is the goal. And when promises are what you're holding on to, it allows you to keep a healthy conscience. I don't need to pick up all this frivolous stuff. I'm Here's where I'm at. This is where God's doing. I don't need another opinion. Not in an arrogant way. I'm just... This is what God is doing, and I'm going to maintain and sustain this truth for what God is doing. Amen? Let's pray. Do some ministry. For about five minutes here, I'm going to pray. Um, That's what I'd like to do that we would give God our yes, and then I'm going to take some a minutes here. Every one of you has at least a word. It may have happened when you were 10. It could have been last week. Something. What was the last thing God said? And I'd like for us to all leave as almost like a banner of like, I have a promise. And I'm going to sustain the promise in the midst of what I don't understand. Amen? So I'm going to pray. I'm going to sit about two minutes in silence. Embrace the awkwardness of a group sitting in silence. We're going to ask God to speak to us and for that everyone would have a promise. So, Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you're, you're the promise keeper. You're the giver. You model carrying promises so well. You're a covenant God. So, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would bring back to remembrance the promises over everybody's life. You would bring back to remembrance the prophetic words that you've given us throughout our life. And that we would have a watering hole and an anchor point in this position, in this time, that we would hold on to. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Let's just spend a couple minutes, just you before the Lord, either re- ask him to remember that promise or the promise that comes. Thank him for the promise and just hold it before him. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. 
For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.